0: You're listening to a sermon from the Spring Midtown Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about the Spring and its ministry, please visit thespringmidtown.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. If you want to get closer to God, take or a risk that you to your knees. My mother told me that. If you wanna get closer to God, take a risk that brings you to your knees. Take a risk that moves you so far outside your comfort zone, so far beyond your resources, so far beyond whatever you have or could possibly ask for or imagine that you know that you will need to pray, that there is no possibility of success unless God shows up at some point in your story, unless God does something miraculous in your story, and you will understand more than anybody else exactly how miraculous God can be. If you want to get closer to God, take a risk that brings you to your knees. This is one of those things that happens in the Bible all the time. And people who read the Bible on a regular basis look at it and say, hmm, you know, those people are amazing. Those people are just, they are heroes. Honestly, like Moses and David and Abraham and Daniel and Elijah and Mary and and Peter and Paul, I can't imagine living a life like that. I can't imagine having a faith like that. I can't imagine anyone ever wanting to write about my faith, let alone read it. And when we read these stories, we know what happens, but we don't really know what it was like to be in the middle of the story. And in the middle of the story, these people would be looking at you if you were with them and saying, we are screwed. This is, it looks real bad. Pharaoh's got an army, and there's a sea, and it's a bad situation. Like, I don't know what's gonna happen, but it's gonna be a bad situation soon. I don't know if God could really do something in this situation. There are all these people with swords. We're locked up in prison. We've been beaten a few times. It really doesn't look good. And then they're just as surprised, just as surprised that we would be if suddenly God splits the sea in half or if suddenly God just opens the doors of a prison. It is unbelievable. It is amazing. It is amazing what God will do when you are on your knees in the midst of a risk that you have no ability to move beyond. And this is also true, not just in the Bible, but of those Christians that we find fascinating through time. The people that they write books about and the people we, write, we read books about. The ones who end up in the Middle East dealing with oppressive religious regimes and kind of pushing back against it who end up martyred for the faith. Those people who ended up in Europe pushing back against the corruption of the church, the corruption of its theology, its worship, its structures, its money. Those people who went down to Latin America and dealt with business interests and also oppressive regimes, those people who ended up in the United States dealing with all sorts of people at the margins, whether it was alcoholics, or the poor in the cities, or the reality of homelessness, or the elderly, or the disabled, or those who needed public schooling, or the reality of racial reconciliation and justice in our time. Which is still, by the way, a struggle going on for those who really believe in Jesus, and those who really are right now taking huge risks, huge risks that they feel God has called them to. And that's why they look so close to God. We look at that life and we go, I would really like a, like, I would, I would like a faith like that. I would like a life like that. How do you get that? And they would say, I don't know. I'll tell you when it's all over, like I'm in the middle of it right now. That's what happens in this story. These people who don't really know exactly what's going on, this, this guy who's kind of an idiot a lot of the times when you read the Gospels ends up walking on water. You can walk on water if you take a risk that's big enough. But until you step out of the boat, there's just no chance, right? No possibility that you're gonna see God move in that way. The story we read begins in the previous story. So just before this, Jesus' disciples are with him. They're standing on a beach. He's telling stories and teaching things. And somewhere in the middle of it all, they go, you know, you've been talking a long time, Jesus. Um, Folks are getting hungry. Uh, We should maybe like amen or something like, You know, kind of clear out. And he says, no, why don't you feed them? And they say, "Uh, there's like 5,000 people here, uh, so why don't, you know, get realistic? And Jesus says, well, what do you got? And they say, we have snacks. Like, what do you think that we, there's like a bread truck somewhere that you don't know about? Like, that's, Lord, what do you think's going on? Why don't you take a risk? Why don't you trust me? Give it to me. Let's see what I can do with the little that you have. And then they feed 5,000 people and no one is more surprised than those people. And our story starts immediately in verse 22. Immediately, before they even realize they've fed 5,000 people, immediately, he makes them get in a boat and he kicks them out. Go away, it's a very strong word in Greek, get out of here. He pushes them away, and you wonder, like, why not a celebration, why not a moment of like, wow, look what God did, we fed 5,000 people. At some level, Jesus is concerned that these people are gonna learn the wrong lesson from the feeding of the 5,000. What they're gonna learn, at some level, is that the Messiah is limitless food, that this is the kind of king he's gonna be, one who just does whatever they need at any given moment, even for things that they don't really need that somebody could go buy or do. And at some level, Jesus is also concerned that a crowd of people is gonna start clapping for the disciples, and the disciples, who've taken what is, in many ways, a very small risk, will go, we are amazing. We can feed thousands of people. Look how amazing! All we needed to do was bring it to Jesus. We are, and Jesus pushes them away and says, "You guys get in the boat. I have another risk for you to take. Get out of here. I'll catch up." Now, if I'm the disciples, I don't know why no one asks a question. Right, verse 22. You go ahead. I'll come later. How? You have no boat. This is a fundamental question that nobody asks in the story. I would be very curious, we are going in a vehicle. You have no vehicle. What do you mean, I'll see you later? Like, what is, I don't know, what do you think is gonna, nobody is curious in this moment. And then Jesus, who sends these people along, who knows exactly what he plans to do, says goodbye to the crowds, goes up the mountain, and starts to pray, which is a casual point in the story that people often miss. Jesus felt the need to pray. Jesus feels the need to pray it is possible that you and I should feel the same need. If Jesus, who is so close to God, feels like maybe he should take some time to chat with God, I think you and I maybe should find some time to do that from time to time. Now, part of what we hear in the midst of this is the same sort of stuff we're always hearing in the New Testament, that there's nothing that the Son does without the Father, there's nothing the Father does except through the Son. The Spirit is always on the move in the midst of this. We see this, these glimpses of the nature of the Godhead, that God is in relationship with God's self, that Jesus is God and also with God in some way that's confusing and a mystery. But the other thing that we get is at some level, Jesus says, I need to pray after a big thing that's happened, and I need to pray before a big thing that is about to happen. I've fed 5,000 people, I should pray. I'm about to walk on water, I should pray. And sometimes when we hear that, we go, well, there's this human being who shows us exactly what life with God is supposed to look like, and he prays, so I guess we need to pray maybe like, you know, I should clean my room, or like I have chores, or something to check off a list somewhere. And that's not really why Jesus prays. Jesus prays for much the same reason that I would say, you should go to the gas station, because without it, you will run out of gas. You will not make it very far. You will have nothing to burn. There will be no fire. You're not going to go anywhere if you are not connected to the God of the universe. Right? We take a risk so big that suddenly we find we are desperate for God to fill us up, desperate for God to move, desperate for God to act. Jesus is always desperate for God to move, desperate for God to speak, desperate for God to act. And if our prayer lives look like Jesus's, we might suddenly see that the risks that we take aren't quite as risky as they seem, that, that we're able to do some pretty incredible things the way Jesus is able to do some pretty incredible things. There was a missionary by the name of Hudson Taylor who was in China for many years, and his life is full of little risks and big ones all the time. Little risks like ending a relationship that wasn't super healthy or stopping school for a while or deciding not to be a doctor, which was a big risk or deciding to move to another country, which was a big risk, or starting a new relationship, which was a small risk, or moving back once the other country had become home, which was a big risk, and then eventually deciding to come back with even more people, but with much less of a plan. And so at one point, he's in China with a group of people, and they're just praying that God would do something, he and this missionary team. This is the 1800s, they're in China, they've learned the language a little bit, and they're praying that God would move, and just down the road from them, there's a hospital that's just been built by a doctor who just loves the Chinese people. He built a hospital, he built a dispensary for food and for medicine. And the doctor who's just finished building this thing has a death in his family. So people are praying every day that God would give them a ministry, and all of a sudden the doctor shows up at their prayer meeting and says, do you want a hospital? Yes, we would love, yes, thank you, that would be great. Would you like a dispensary full? Yes, that sounds amazing. And so this was this incredible gift that they were given, but at the same time, a huge risk, massive. Because here's the thing, there's no money to run the hospital. The doctor pays for the hospital by working with foreigners, taking their money, and then funding free beds for Chinese folks, dealing with opium addictions, making sure to give out food to folks. Also, there's no one in this group who's really trained in medicine. They have some training, but they're not doctors. So this is going to be a real challenge on a variety of levels. They don't know how to run a hospital. They're not exactly doctors. And they have no money. They've had eight days to absorb all this information before the guy leaves, and it's gonna take him five months to get back to Scotland, which is the same amount of time it would take to send letters back to the UK, which means they have no ability to ask for money, and they have exactly one month's worth of money. So people running a hospital with no money, well, beyond a month, who aren't really doctors, are now suddenly running a hospital, helping people be healed of opium addictions, really changing lives and bodies and feeding people. It's amazing, amazing the work that they're doing, and every week, there's a little bit less money. And every week they pray, oh God, help. And every week God helps, but there's still another week less money. And now there, there's, a, there's now no money, there's no money at all. They just have the food that they have in the bags and people are praying every day and they're like, God, you're doing so many other things, but we're very much out on a limb here. Like, are you gonna, oh Lord, help. And then the chef shows up in the middle of that prayer meeting and he says, so I've opened the last bag of rice. Okay, well, I guess God's going to show up soon, then. Like, we, we only have one bag of rice left. That's, and sure enough, as the rice goes down, the next day, there's a letter that comes in the mail. And the letter has the U.S. equivalent of $10,000 in it. Which is insane. Just insane. Because, again, no one could have asked for money. And actually, it would have taken five months for the money to get there. Which means that before the doctor ever lost someone in his life, before they'd ever been given the hospital, before they even began to pray, God already had planned to meet their needs in the midst of this risk. All they're doing is slowly partnering with a God who will actually meet them if they take a risk big enough that drives them to their knees. I wonder, I wonder, looking at you and knowing how God operates, if there is a risk in your life that you are doing everything you can to just kind of shove away, that you're actually pretty confident that God has called you to do something, and you don't know exactly what it is, and you're definitely not sure how you're gonna do it, and you're like, he's probably not talking to me, and I'm not, but I'll tell you this, the Lord is definitely talking to you. No question in my mind. You are being called to step out in some very real way, be it small, be it large. God is calling you to take a risk so big that it will drive you to your knees. So back to the story. Jesus is on the mountain, he's praying. And the timeline's a little sketchy. If you look back at your verses, so 22, it's daytime. 23, the disciples leave, it appears to be daytime. Then he says goodbye to 5,000 people, which I assume takes a little while. And then he goes hiking up a mountain, and then night falls. So it's been several hours, I assume, while people are out in a boat. Then Jesus prays. And in the Bible, what it says in verse 24 and 25 is it's the fourth watch of the night, literally in Greek, which means it's 3 a.m. So Jesus has been praying, not for like 20 minutes, but for between six, nine hours, somewhere in there. The disciples have been in this boat for like 12 hours or so. They're making very little progress. There is a clear kind of disjunction between Jesus, who is casually praying alone on a mountain at night, who will walk across the water like it's nothing, and the disciples who are experienced fishermen who can't seem to make much progress in 12 hours in a boat. Notice how God tends to operate in our lives if we actually rely on him in some significant way. And so Jesus comes walking down the mountain apparently suddenly remembering it's time to stop praying, there are people out in the boat, they're probably in need, the sky is dark, there's wind, it's very, very cloudy, there's no like moon or stars, and Jesus just does what Jesus casually does, something miraculous. The kind of thing that always happens in the New Testament, not like a ta-da moment in front of a big crowd, most of the time, the miracles of Jesus are not really for the sake of miracles, they're sort of a weirdly practical solution to a very kind of tangible problem? Well, I can't take a boat because you know they're in a boat, so I'm gonna need something else if I'm gonna catch up to these guys. I'm just going to have to walk on the water, which is a nice thing that Jesus can do, just casually solving a problem in that way. And it amazes me because the Gospels consistently talk about stuff like this, right? It's not that Jesus teleports. It's not that he appears and then disappears and then reappears somewhere else. It's not that he flies or levitates. He walks on the water. This is the God of the universe, the king of all creation, the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who can just make physics change, who also walks. He's a pedestrian. This is the God of the universe while still using his feet on the water. This is an amazing moment where we see exactly the kind of thing we talk about in the Bible, the very nature of Jesus Christ. God and man. Water, but walking. And he's getting closer to the disciples, but again, this is the first century They're in a glorified rowboat. It's not very big. All 12 of them, they've been fighting for hours, for hours in the dark. Um, Fighting for hours in the dark, and it's stormy, so you can't really see very well. They probably have very few reference points. They're hoping the sun will rise soon so that they can get some sense of where they are and the direction they need to be heading. They're sailors. They've been in storms like this before. The boat's not not about to fall apart, but still, it's a bad situation. So you can imagine being in a boat in the dark having struggled for hours. Your back is tired, your legs are tired, you're, you know, salty. And people, you're just sore, and the thing is just going up and down in the waves, right? You're flying all over the place, and you're hanging on, and you're bailing water, and you're just, you know, you're sailors, and you know how to deal with this. And then suddenly, one of the guys isn't really helping. He's just sort of doing this. And one of the other guys goes, what? And he says, No. Nothing. And then a little while later, another one of the guys is kind of looking. And he says, did you see something before? And the guy goes, yeah, it was probably just driftwood or something. No, I see it. And it's moving against the wind. And everybody's skin starts to tingle and the hair kind of raises on the back of your neck. And and everyone's just sort of hoping that they're seeing things in the dark amongst the waves, and then whatever it is is getting close enough that everybody in the boat sees it now, and there's just sort of this figure moving in the water, unaffected by wind and waves, and so they start screaming. That's what it says. Literally, these aren't manly, like, ah, (laughs) ah! Like, they're terrified, these people, in the midst of the, there's something coming at us on the water, that is a terrifying, it's a ghost, this is a very bad situation that we're in, and somewhere in the midst of the sea, right, all you really know is that there's waves moving here and there, and like periodically you see whatever it is, and then you hear the voice of Jesus Hey guys, get a grip. It's me. Don't be scared. Which I don't know if that's comforting so much as confusing. You wouldn't be like, Can, Hang on. I've been, what, are you in a boat? Like, where, where is Jesus? What, is that just like a ghost pretending to be Jesus? So many questions. And every picture you see painted of this, it's daytime. Like they see like the radiant Jesus walking on the water. That's not what happens. There is a reason they think this is a ghost. This is a terrifying situation. And for some reason, Peter in the boat goes, well if it's you, tell me to get out of the boat. And I, if I'm the other 11 guys, I'm thinking, why is that the test? That doesn't make any sense. And then the voice goes, come on, man. And then Peter gets out of the boat. Here's the thing, many times, many times, when people tell this story or think about this story, the thing you think is, Peter only made it a couple of steps. That guy, sissy. Right, like he starts walking and he sinks. Huge failure. That is not at all this story. This is an amazing thing, an amazing thing that happens. Peter fails, Peter fails huge. But he got out of the boat. He took a risk. There's an old Teddy Roosevelt quote that I love. And it goes like this. And it'll be up on the screen behind me. It's not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles. Or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to a man who is actually in the arena who at best knows in the end, the triumph of a great achievement, and who, at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place will never be with those cold, timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. That's a dead president putting us all in blast, I gotta tell you. You think about the 11 people in the boat, the 11 people who for a minute are all together with Peter. And then suddenly, there's this difference. God commands him to take a risk. And suddenly, the only real difference between them and Peter is this, where he's standing just outside the boat, holding onto it, and they're inside. And you can imagine the look on Peter's face just... (laughs) And the guy's inside blown away that their friend who was just next to them is walking on water. Not Jesus. Jesus can do anything. Not impressive when Jesus, it's impressive when Jesus walks on water. It's very impressive that Peter is finding apparently solid water. And there are 11 people inside this boat who have no idea what it feels like. No idea what it feels like to walk on water. No idea what it feels like when God calls you to do something crazy and you go. That's a huge step. It's a huge step and it happens all the time. It's a huge step and it happens all the time and there's so many moments when we're standing inside the boat and we feel the choice and we know the choice is there and whenever it's there, it's a life-changing choice. Always. Whether you choose to risk or not, it is life changing. Really important. Inside the boat and knowing tomorrow I'm, I may have an opportunity to talk to my, my, my friend at work and just acknowledge I was at church yesterday. There's a person in my life and I need to forgive him. <clears throat> Ooh. What what if, what if God is calling me to do something that, that radical? Mm. We all know what that feels like. Whether it's a small or a big risk. They happen a thousand times a day. Here's the thing. Whichever choice you make, it's life-changing. Every time you take the risk, every time you go a little bit further, every time you place your life in the hands of God, your life opens up a little bit. You get a little bit better at trusting God, you get a little bit better at risk. You do, every time. And every time you say no, you get a little bit harder. Just a little bit harder, a little bit more closed off to the will of God, a little bit less interested in abandoning safety and security and what you know for something that is truly crazy, something outrageous, something that that does not make sense. And the truth is, honestly, most of us at the moment we got baptized just did one of these. And from that point forward, it's really a constant question of what the next step is, what the next risk is. And again, it might be small. Do I think that I could join a church because churches drive me nuts? Do I think that I could that I could share my story in some kind of community group? Do I think that I could tell somebody about Jesus who doesn't know about Jesus? Do I think I could do that with somebody somebody I kind of know? Somebody who doesn't necessarily want it? Do I think I could start tithing? Do I think I could take a risk like, I don't know, maybe suggesting like a ministry that I feel like God might be calling us to like as a church and maybe even like being in charge of that? Do I think maybe God is calling me to take a step away from the life that I know? Do I think maybe that God's calling me to take a step away from relationships as I know them? Do I think maybe God's calling me to get healthier? Do I think maybe there's some big risk, some small risk that God is calling me to? And there's this choice. Do I get out of the boat? Do I take another step? Do I get a little bit riskier? And every time, the risk feels like it increases exponentially. It never gets easy. This is a really important thing. The contrast is between Peter outside the boat and the people inside the boat. Outside the boat, inside the boat. And what may be a challenge for you at first quickly becomes easy. Suddenly, you feel like you're standing on solid ground, which is exactly what happens to Peter. And then the next risk feels even crazier. And then you feel like you're standing on solid ground. And then each time you start to feel really safe and really comfortable, it's as though you're back in the boat. There's this uh, line John Ortberg has in his book uh, on this story. He says, let the people in the boat stand for all who can, who look for not for a command, but a promise. Let the people in the boat stand for everyone who asks not for a command, but a promise, who seeks not a mission, but a guarantee. Jesus promises us not safety, not in the way that we like, not security, not in the way that we like. He promises us a mission. He promises us moments where we're going to be standing in a place where we're bringing together people who don't usually belong together. We're going to be in a situation where we are genuinely uncomfortable, where we'll be dealing with a with a moment of resources to meet the situation really in any way, where where we are, for all intents and purposes, standing on water. And somehow, Peter walks on water for a while, each step feeling solid and secure. And I think if I were walking on water, I would definitely look back and just wave, because it would just be really fun for me. And somewhere in the midst of all this, he's getting closer and closer and closer to Jesus. Every risk, every step brings him closer to Jesus. And then... Somehow, he loses sight of Jesus. After several steps, who knows how long, somehow he notices the wind, which he noticed before when he was in the boat, somehow he notices the waves, which he noticed before when he was in the boat, and I promise you, when he stepped out of the boat, because I'm still not really sure if the ground gets flat or if it's moving. and I just can't figure out what it would be like to walk on wavy ground, if you know, like an escalator, but up and down in three dimensions. Somehow, Peter gets scared. Of course he does. Somehow Peter fails. Of course he does. If you think that when you step out of the boat and you start taking risks that God calls you to, you will not fail, you are, you are in for some very unpleasant wetness. You are, I, just, I promise you this, you will sink. There is a moment... In every person's kind of journey with the Lord, where they take a risk, and they stop, and they remember that there's a boat back there, and they go, ooh, that was safe, that felt good, and that's, you just, that's, you're gone right then. And all of a sudden, when that happens, when you fail, cry out to Jesus. Peter makes exactly the right move. Cry out to Jesus, Lord, save me, and he grabs him. Jesus is always right there. How is Jesus always right there? I don't know. He's always right there. He will always save you, which is not to say you won't get wet, which is not to say there won't be consequences for somewhere being in the midst of a risk and hesitating or making the move that God has not called you to make. And this is really important. These moves are always moves that God has called us to make. We don't just take risks for the sake of taking risks. This is not a biblical story about play with fire because God uses that, right? Juggle knives because it's good for you. That's not what this story is. If God calls you to take a crazy risk, not read random passages of the Bible and give away all of your money to the next person you see on the street, but maybe invite some people into community because maybe you got a problem with greed, and maybe actually you are headed in that direction. Not sell everything, move to another country because that's what God does when everybody somebody listens. Not necessarily, but maybe. Maybe you, and maybe your husband, or maybe your wife. Because maybe you're actually called to be some crazy missionary in some crazy situation. I don't know. But I do know this. You, at some level, are already feeling like God is calling you to take a risk. And it's already making you nervous and you're already thinking about whether or not you can take another step. And you're already thinking about the safety and the security that would lie behind you if you took a step like that. And all I can tell you, it's, it's worth it. It's worth walking on water for five minutes. Five hours. Five seconds. It's much better to be in the hands of God, doing something crazy and risky and going, oh my God, it's God, than sitting in a boat, which you already know how that feels. And Jesus saves Peter, and they get back into a boat, and the storm turns off, because apparently Jesus does that whenever he feels like it. And he starts talking about how little the faith is, but that's not Jesus saying to Peter, sissy, you should have made it like a mile or two on the water. That's Jesus looking at Peter and saying to us what he always says. I love you, and I think your faith needs to grow just a little bit more. But that's why I'm here to save you, so that your faith will grow just a little bit more and a little bit more, and you kind of get used to God both holding you up and saving you every time you fall, and you get used to kind of this rhythm of risk. I will tell you, when it comes to planting a church, uh, I, I had a series of really interesting moments along the way with this, with you, with this strange thing that we're doing together. It was weird. I was working a pretty good job, and we moved to a neighborhood. And my wife and I thought we should love our neighbors, and we said that to a friend who was running a church, and he said, "You should start a church." And I said, "Oh no, (laughs) that's not the plan." And we just bought a house, and we just had a baby, and it's definitely not a good idea to take a risk like that. And then some other people said, "No, we really think you should start a church in your neighborhood." And we thought, "Well, this is a really bad idea." And little by little, we thought, "Yeah, and God's calling us to this really terrible idea." And and we took a 30% pay cut with a job like this, which is not a good idea when you have bills to pay and small children. You feel that very acutely every day. And it's not like we had a team, and it's not like there was a plan. It was actually, you have exactly two years' worth of money. If you don't have something happening, if God doesn't do something, by August of 2018, there is no church, and you have no job. Cool. Okay. Yeah, I'm just going to walk away from that. That. That doesn't seem like a really good idea at all. And every morning I would wake up and I'd wonder if I made a huge mistake. Every morning. And every morning it felt horribly fragile. And Every morning I talked to strangers about Jesus. And I wondered afterward if I'd done anything, if anything was happening, if I was wasting my life, if I'd made a series of huge mistakes. But I will also tell you this, somewhere in the midst of all that I thought, I have never had to pray like this. I've never needed to pray. I pray, I've just never needed to pray. Most of the time, in fact, every time in every job, hugely embarrassing, ashamed to tell you, most of those jobs in churches, I have always, always had the gifting and the resources and the capability to be excellent at my job. Always. I have never needed to pray. I pray because, you know, you're supposed to. And suddenly, with nothing to do and no clear idea of how to do it and very aware that every step was precarious, I prayed with a kind of desperation I am so grateful for. I hope it never goes away. Because I'm very, very far away from safety. And somewhere in the midst of that, there was this weird community of people. Some of you were there. Somewhere in the midst of that, that community of people started meeting in my living room. And then there was a church. And people volunteered to do worship. And they made coffee. And they had plans. And there were kids running everywhere. And it was chaos. And it felt very fragile every day. And then we were in a children's school Charter place thing over there. I don't even know what the Create Academy was. You guys remember the chameleons? It was odd. It was a very odd place to be. And half the time, honestly, I wasn't really sure what it meant to partner with them or what it really meant to do. And little by little, we had elders who stepped up and said, I will run this. I will figure that out. Little by little, we had volunteers who said, I will figure out this Bible study. I will talk to people about Jesus. Little by little, we saw people get baptized. And I was like, well, if this all falls apart, at least somebody got baptized. That's really great. And moment by moment, I watched as God, one, exceeded the timeline that made a lot of sense, because it's 2021, and there's still a church, and you guys are still here. And two, people are coming to know Jesus all the time, which is incredible. Three, we have online, which is bizarre in every way. We made it through a pandemic, which I promise you, every day I wasn't sure we were going to make it through. And little by little, God has done amazing things in this community. Amazing things in this community. And some of you are new, and you're slowly discovering how great this group of people is. And I will tell you that I now feel like I'm taking another step and another step and another step, and I'm getting used to it, but I never like it. And honestly, when you consider the number of risks that I've been through in life, it's odd that every step still feels like a risk. It's odd that I know exactly how Peter feels, going, huh, I don't know why, but I'm scared now. Hope I don't sink. Lord, save me. And I know I know that I know that I know that I know that some of you are here and you're wondering, if I took that risk, what would I lose? Here's the thing, if you don't take the risk, I know what you'll lose. I know what you'll lose if you don't take it. You will lose growth. You will lose it. There is no growth without risk. There is no growth without pain. None. We move, we take risks in the name of Jesus, or nothing happens. And when we move and we take those risks, we watch God do amazing, miraculous things, usually things we didn't expect, plan for, or even want half the time. God does what he wants, but I can promise you this. If you want to get closer to God, take a risk that brings you to your knees. Take a risk that teaches you to pray with a deep desperation that God might move, that God might shake the world around you, that God might do something that you can't predict and that you're just kind of hoping that he does and you'll be along for the ride. If you want to get closer to God, take a risk that brings you to your knees. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus.